child it's not that it should have been a surprise for the prophets had foretold but upon though for those upon whom it came many of the details were surprising because they were not in the form that the world was expecting or hoping and uh, this morning our, our uh, our passage is the surprising genealogy. Where have you come from this morning? <laughs> yep. <clears throat> and so you all have... I was going to ask that. How many of you have a family history? You should all have your hands up. Let me see. How many of you have a family history? (laughs) Uh, You've no doubt heard of um, Ancestry.com. And uh, we can trace elements of our family history. Not many of us can trace it right back to Adam. (laughs) But we know that's where it came from. And uh, you have... Have you ever worked on your family tree? How many of you actually worked on your family tree? I meant to bring uh, a little book this morning and I've forgotten it, uh, which is uh, some work my sister did in the 1980s. And by the way, we found out there was a David Kemp in the line, but born around the same time as this, as as, as as David Kemp, but he didn't marry Monica. (laughs) (laughs) So, common name, similar name. Uh, One of the Ward girls married married a David Kemp. So, um, there we go. Some interesting things in our family lines. And, of course, uh, families gather together at Christmas... Um, and you have reunions, and, and as you look through family history, there's some interesting things. Even uh, notice some uh, in my family history, Graham, we've often shared things. Graham and I were baptised by the same pastor, not at the same time, but 30 years apart, I think. <laughs> but, um, and uh, some of our family were actually farmers at Eda Lily. So there you go, just near where Graham was in Tumby Bay. So there's all sorts of things you find in your family tree. Some of them might be rather dark secrets. I know on my mum's side, the Healy's uh, uh, um, apparently had somewhat of a uh, bit of a wild reputation on the uh, border areas of Victoria, although uh, uh, Grandpa Healy actually came to, became a Salvation Army officer uh, there at one stage. As Matthew 1 unfolds, the first Hebrew scripture quoted in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 1, that doesn't pay to do, (laughs) Um, quoting Isaiah 7.14, now we're not clicking, 
You want to check it, Adrian? Because it's going Okay. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. And Matthew associated this prophecy with Mary's mother, Jesus, a Jewish mother. Now, every, you know the song um, about uh, the Christmas song that talks, sings about hopes and fears. Every generation experiences different hopes and fears. As we enter the Advent season, we want to reflect on the hopes and fears of all the years, as the song goes, that were met in Bethlehem on the night of the Saviour's birth. And that phrase nicely sums up the opening genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew. But it relates to our hopes and fears as well. And so we start with verse 1, with the genesis of Jesus. We read the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the New King James translates it just slightly different. It has uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the Greek, in the Greek, it reads like this, uh, Biblios Geneseos, Jesu Christu, Huiu David, Huiu Abraham. Literally, the book of the Genesis, or generations, genealogy, of Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the son of David and of Abraham. So Jesus, Matthew opens with a family tree of Jesus' ancestors. He only takes it back to Abraham when you later will look at the fact that Luke also records a genealogy which is different in considerable parts, but it goes back to Adam. And he goes back to Abraham. Now, genealogies were very important to first century Jews. A genealogy proved that a person was indeed an Israelite and identified the tribe to which he or she belonged and qualified certain Jews for religious duties such as Levitical and priestly service. Now you get a picture of this in the Old Testament in the book of Ezra. We read uh, in Ezra 2.61, of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Hakos, the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife from the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite, and he was called by their name. These searched among their ancestral registration, but they could not be located. Therefore, they were considered unclean and excluded from the priesthood. So there were requirements that went on. And Matthew introduces his gospel by recalling the beginning of the grand story of the Bible. The word genealogy is from the Greek noun genesis or geneseos, as we saw, or beginning. And it's used similarly in Matthew, uh, Genesis 5, 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. 
Matthew's use of the word Genesis for this genealogy at the beginning of this account of Jesus signals to his audience that a new creation story, a renewal of God's creation as God had promised, is underway in Jesus Christ. Matthew and Luke were writing to two different audiences. Matthew to the Jews and Luke to the Greeks. And by the way, uh, I've seen a number of testimonies. Not only is it Isaiah 53 that speaks to Jewish folk, but when they begin to read the New Testament, they go, because it's very different to what they expect, they think Christians are Gentiles. And so they read the Gospel of Matthew, beginning with the, gene- uh, the, with the genealogy that Matthew gives, and they go, this is a very Jewish book. <laughs> it's not so weird and different as they thought. It ties right into the, their Old Testament scriptures. And so he gives this perspective uh, to a Jewish point of, view, point of view. Luke writes from Mary's point of view and uh, gives us a, a, a different picture. Each of the Gospels has a purpose and a focus and a picture in mind telling the same overlapping stories, but pointing us to understand the picture from each perspective. And Matthew's perspective is that Jesus is the Messiah. It serves several purposes beyond presenting a mere biography of Jesus. One purpose is to prove to Jewish readers that Jesus is their Messiah and The genealogy here is that of Joseph. And you might say, well, Joseph wasn't really his father. But he was his legal father. Okay, and in Jewish uh, tradition, you needed to know the linkage through your your legal father. Uh, Whereas the genealogy of Luke 3, 23 to 38 is that of Mary, his actual parent, showing his bloodline back to King David. Read in Isaiah 11, the prophet Isaiah calls him the son of... Um, uh, he, uh, Matthew also calls him the son of David. And the son of David, the descendant from, is, is a descendant from David's royal lineage who would re-establish the throne in Jerusalem and the kingdom of Israel. And the genealogy goes through Joseph, Jesus' legal father, establishing that right. In Isaiah 11, the prophet uh, um, Isaiah said this in 11:1 and 2, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from its roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And then you read at the end of the New Testament in Revelation 22, 6, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He is the root in that he is the eternal God and brought David into being. He is the offspring in that his humanity is linked to David in his birth. As the son of David, Jesus fulfilled the promise God gave David that a descendant of his would sit on Israel's throne and rule a universal kingdom. Now, interestingly, he went here to David and then he goes to Abraham. 
because he also must be not just a descendant of David, but must be obviously uh, Jewish. And he traces the line forward in time from Abraham, the father of the Hebrew race, to Joseph. He's writing for Jews, and Jewish history begins with Abraham. Luke, writing for Gentiles, therefore goes back to Adam. And in Genesis 22, verse 18, God said to Abraham, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. A son of, as a son of Abraham, Jesus fulfilled the promise given the father of the Jewish race. He is the seed through whom the entire human race would be blessed. And we get that in Galatians 3.16. Uh, it says, now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. Thus Matthew's very first words alert us. Jesus is the focus of all scripture. He is the essence, the substance, and the spirit of its message. He is both Lord and Savior, and our response to Jesus determines our destiny. In verses, verse 1 and verse 17 are like bookmarks to this section. They could bookends. And uh, in between is the family tree. And you'll notice that I've put verses, verse 17, then verses 2 to 16. Because verse 17 really explains the way verses 2 to 16 is, is, is structured. So we'll put up verse 17, and you can see the pattern of the genealogy down there on the side. I won't ask you to read it, but you can see its structure. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to, uh, from Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Why three lots of 14? Most likely for memorization. Now, what was, who was Matthew? What did he used to do before he became a follower of Jesus? He was a tax collector. He was a bookkeeper. Yeah, summarizing in numbers, okay? And uh, that things were done to, to keep track and to keep memory, to, to follow the structure. So it's most likely done for memorization. Remember, they couldn't afford books like we do today. Scrolls were very, very expensive, or, or even uh, tablets and so on. And so a lot of the stuff was done for memorization. It is also mentioned in many commentaries that it's possibly an example of a gematria, a Hebrew way of writing, uh, where it's a system that assigns numerical value to the letters of the alphabet. In Hebrew, the numerical value of the letters comprising the name David, uh, DVD is when you look at it in, in Hebrew, um, it, it is 14. If that was the case, an artistic arrangement highlighting in Jewish minds the understanding the structure, it would suggest that the gospel was written in Hebrew first and then translated into Greek. We don't have any evidence of it, but it's common in some understandings. In fact, I saw a further description which suggests that the names of all the descendants uh, from down through the list, the male descendants, 
uh, divisible by seven, which is interesting. I, I haven't done the Hebrew study to, to deal with that, and I, wouldn't, I don't think it adds anything to us in understanding it. But when you look at the list, I want you to see it from a, a, from a perspective. It's not just Adam to so-and-so. You know, you read these lists, and you go, skip over that. You shouldn't really, because the list is written there for a purpose, and it's good to go back and study each of those, and there's so much you would get. If I, if I just went through each person in that list, we'd be here for quite some time. But you'd get an interesting picture of God's working in the redemption of Israel over time. And that's what we're going to summarize here. And it's important to remember God establishes a covenant. And so we start with the covenant with Abraham. Oh, there, there is the family tree. I forgot to bring that across. I'm not used to looking down here. I'm used to looking up there. So we'll get it, get it working. It works better actually here. The covenant with Abraham in verses 2 to 5. The first section lists the patriarchs from Abraham to David's father, Jesse. Why does the genealogy start with Abraham? To demonstrate that Jesus, or Yeshua, was of Jewish descent. Abraham is considered the father of the uh, Jewish nation. And God promised to make Abraham into a great nation. And so his name would be important because God would bless him and through him bless the nations. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, uh, uh, we read, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. You know, at the time of Israel's troubles at the moment, the world and the media is largely against Israel. Oh, they're committing a genocide on the Palestinians and a whole range of things. Be careful of picking up that spirit. One, check your facts, because there's so much about Israel that the media is not telling us and the way it's conducting but be careful of having an attitude simply against Israel. Yes, Israel is not yet uh, the righteous nation and kingdom that it will become under Jesus, but it is still God's chosen people, so be careful of how you handle. Now, we read in the list, and, and uh, I've just put it up as a whole. don't expect you to read it, but you possibly can in that size from there. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father uh, of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. Rather, Ram was the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. So Matthew opens with this reminder in his emphasis upon Abraham, and he closes with Jesus' commission uh, to make disciples of all the nations. And there's some interesting inclusions which we're going to look in the latter part of looking at this. 
the promise given to Abraham connects this particular genealogy to every nation. But anyone who hopes to receive the blessing that was promised through Abraham must receive it in and through Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Then the second list brings us to the covenant with David. It lists the kings from David down to Jeconiah, and there's an interesting note on that one, and the deportation to Babylon. It's not exhaustive. John MacArthur notes several additional generations must have elapsed between Rahab in Joshua's time and David in verse 6, nearly four centuries later. Uh, the Faith Life Study Bible says Matthew omits three intervening kings, Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah, possibly to tidy up the structure of the genealogy. It's the picture form that is more important than all of the details. You know, we tend to think, like we, from our Greco-Roman world that shaped West, the Western world, we tend to think analytically. We, we tend to go for the details. If you ever noticed in the Middle East, they go for the big picture. So they, they, they tend to, you know, when, when a, a, an Arab says to you, I, I, I wish 10,000 fleas on your camels. He, he's not worried about counting the number of things. He's just getting the big picture that, you know, I want to cause you a lot of trouble. I'm cursing you. Um, so we need to keep that in mind as we look at these things. The, the big picture is more important than all of the finer details. It's not saying the details are not important, but they have their place. Now we read, in, um, Jesse was the father of David, the father of David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Isaiah. Isaiah was the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon, and Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Jeconiah, I think if I read somewhere, was only eight uh, when he be ascended to being king, uh, but he was taken into Babylon. And by the way, there's some very interesting archaeology. If you, um, if you watch the video clips from Expedition Bible, he's, he's a, an archaeologist and a son of archaeologists, and one of the video clips that you can watch there is he goes to Babylon and in Babylon, they found the, the clay tablet library, thousands of, of clay tablets, one of which clearly records the special provisions for Jeconiah and his sons, how they were looked after by, uh, they were looked after even in captivity by um, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, just more proof of the Bible's accounts. Now, God had said to David in 2 Samuel 7, 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. And Psalm 89, verses 3 and 4 records it. It says, I have made a covenant with my chosen. 
I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your seed forever and build up your throne to all generations. Now, when a Jewish person looked at that list, they know all of the kings, the good and the bad, the ugly, the pictures in between. We tend to have to go back and study it again. But they memorized those things. Of particular interest, of course, is the inclusion of Jeconiah. And some people put this up as an opposition to say, it doesn't make any sense because Jeconiah is cursed, and, and we'll give you a little bit of detail on that. Jeconiah is also called Jehoiachin in 2 Kings 24.8 and Coniah in Jeremiah 22, verse 24. It's kind of like we tend to shorten names. Uh, yeah, I used to hate Wardy. <laughs> which we would get at school, it's because they couldn't shorten Neil. Except for one French teacher who called me Nell. <laughs> anyway, he's, Jack and I are is cursed from having any descendant upon the throne of David because of his wickedness. And it says in Jeremiah 22.30, Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in, Ju in, Ju in Judah. Ah, interesting. This is the line of David to Jesus. But there's a, there's a different line as well, remember, and they both come down through David. We'll look at that in a, in a moment. Jeremiah's prophecy related to the actual occupation of the throne and the reception of blessing while on the throne. Jeconiah's sons never occupied the throne, but who was Jeconiah's grandson? Think back to what we did last year. Coming back from the captivity, who's the governor of, uh, 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 of Jerusalem? You haven't got your thinking caps on, have you? Zerubbabel is the grandson of Jeconiah. And he actually represents the royal line. And we, we get that clear picture through the book of Zechariah. Okay, God, God is blessing him in the way that he, in the same way actually, that he cursed uh, his grandfather Jeconiah. The, the, there's a strong parallel there. But if Jesus had been a physical descendant of Jeconiah, some suggest he would not have been able to occupy David's throne. But Luke's genealogy made it clear that Jesus was a physical descendant insofar as it, that he was conceived in Mary uh, through another son named Nathan, not through Solomon. Uh, but Joseph was a descendant, and you see it in this picture here. There's the two lines. Uh, up here is through Solomon. Mary's line comes down through Nathan. We won't try to get into all of the bits and pieces in the list. So the, Jesus' right to the throne, right to the throne is traced through G Joseph as the legal parent, uh, but his physical uh, line actually came down through Mary. The third section brings us to the need for a new covenant. The comeback from captivity, there is no king on the throne. And this period is a period without kings awaiting the Messiah to come. And so by the time we get down to it, you, you begin to get the anticipation, the expectation, the hopes and fears of all the years, as it were, that is coming to bear at the birth of Jesus. They're longing for a king, for the righteous king, for the Messiah. 
And this third section lists the descendants from Jeconiah to Joseph. Jeconiah was recognised by the Jews of the exile as their last legitimate king. And following the captivity, Jesus' ancestors returned to Judah and remained there until an angel brought news of Jesus' birth to Joseph and Mary. So we get the list, and it's, uh, it's here. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel. Told you he was the grandson of Jeconiah. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor was the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. Some people like to point out there and then, wait a minute, Joseph's father is Jacob, but in Luke's account it says it's Eli. How does that work out? You've got to know in Hebrew, being referred to as son of someone, and we actually saw it in the Ezra passage before, if you're referring to the father-in-law, you'll still be listed as his son. It's, the, it's just the, the, the positioning of relationship, not the actual physical form of the relationship that comes down. So you can, explain, you can deal with all of that and you can find examples of that in the Hebrew. But from the exile, which was the sign of Israel's sin and destruction to the birth of Jesus in whom the final period of world events has begun... Matthew's division indicates the high point in Israel's history during David's reign, the low point in the exile, and the fulfilment of the Old Testament promises in the Saviour. That's, that's the memorising picture he's giving them. Now, because Mary was a virgin when she became pregnant, Matthew lists Joseph only as the husband of Mary, not the father of Jesus. Matthew's genealogy gives Jesus legal or royal lineage through Joseph. Mary's ancestral line, and we saw it there before, but we'll come back to it on this side. Uh, uh, is it, recorded in Luke 3:23 to 38. Both were Mary and Joseph were direct descendants of David. Matthew traces, as I said, back to Abraham, while Luke traces it back to Adam. Matthew writing to the Jews so to, to show he was a descendant of their father Abraham. Luke to the Gentiles, so he emphasised Jesus as the saviour of all the people, and yet Matthew brings that into his gospel as well. Now, if you know anything of the history, and I didn't have time to go into it, we, as I said, we would have been here for quite a bit of time trying to even summarise it. But I want to come back now and summarise some unlikely inclusions. Women weren't normally written into, other than as a by-reference, but weren't normally written into genealogies in Jewish culture and structure. But Matthew records the line of, the line of descent comes through men, but Matthew names five, five particular women, and each is an interesting picture. 
We get Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and then finally, of course, Mary. Tamar was a Canaanite woman married to uh, one of the sons of Judah who died and was meant to be passed on to the next son, but he refused to carry out the Thonan. He refused to carry out the thing. And so she can't fulfill the role. So she actually uh, uh, dresses up as a prostitute and gets the father pre- gets pregnant by the father. And the interesting story is he declares her in... in uh, in uh, Genesis 38:23, he declares her more righteous than I. We look and say, well, that's a bit sus. But she's resp- as a Canaanite woman, she is still respecting the Jewish uh, law and, and culture by faith. She, she does it the only way she knows how, in a fleshly way. Uh, but he, uh, Judah rec- uh, recognizes her intent was more noble than his actions. Matthew, uh, so Tamar's one. Who's the next? Rahab. And the scriptures record Rahab as what? A harlot, a prostitute, and she's a Gentile. And uh, she's in the line. Ruth was a Moabite woman. And thus her offspring were forbidden to enter the assembly of the Lord for ten generations, if you go to Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. Then you have Bathsheba, uh, uh, Uriah's wife, who committed adultery with David. Um, One one author suggested she was a Hittite. I'm not sure that that's the case of whether Uriah married a Jewish woman. But there, there they are. And Mary, a simple country girl, if you like, uh, but faithful, who bore the stigma of pregnancy out of wedlock. Each of these women is an object uh, lesson about the workings of divine grace. As Harold Wilmington says, the, the manifold and marvellous grace of God, the first woman, Tamar, became the distant, removed grandmother of King David. The second, Rahab, became his great-great-grandmother. The third, Ruth, was his great-grandmother. And the fourth, Bathsheba, became his beloved wife and mother of Solomon. It's a picture of God's grace. It didn't matter how questionable their background was. But they received by faith. They came into the family line and are included. And that's the picture of the gospel all the way through. At Christmas, we remember that God gave mankind the most precious gift he could give, his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son, John says, into the world to judge the world, but the world that the world might be saved through him. A grandfather found his son jumping up and down in his cot, crying at the top of his voice, 
And when the boy saw his grandfather, he reached up his chubby hands and said, out, Grandpa, out. It was only natural for the grandfather to reach down to lift him out, but as he did, the mother of the child stepped up and said, no, Johnny, you're being punished, so you must stay in. The grandfather was at a loss to know what to do. The child's tears and chubby hands reached deep into his heart, but the mother's firmness in correcting her son must not be taken lightly. Love, however, found a way. The grandfather could not take the grandson out of the playpen, so he climbed in with him. <laughs> that is what Christ did with us at Christmas. In coming in human flesh, he climbed in with us. In John 1.14 we read, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glories of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. As Luke Taylor says, Jesus didn't come out of nowhere. And well, uh, the Old Testament was meant to prepare the Jews for his arrival. But the Old Testament scriptures weren't intended for the Jews alone. You see, Jesus was and is Emmanuel, God with us. As Matthew quotes from Luke, uh, uh, Isaiah 7, 14. God comes to us as people. Warren Wiersbe notes that God comes to us as people and lives in our world rather than having us to try the impossible of going to him. Jesus does not take us out of the turmoil and pain of daily life, but rather he walks with us as we live life. Jesus' entry into, entry into human life with fraught, fraught with awkward tensions and human dilemmas, a miraculous but embarrassing conception. An earthly father who was considering quiet divorce. An outraged king resorting to infanticide. An early childhood in a strange culture. And a return to a homeland that remained hostile and dangerous. We too are all born into some troubles and circumstances. But we need to remember that Jesus reveals the mystery of God's plan which was formed before the foundation of the world. It says in Galatians 4, 4 to 5, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God placed him amid a human family, with a heritage in some respects not too dissimilar to yours and mine's. One writer says this, Matthew's genealogy then announces immediately, God is fulfilling promises to renew creation. That Jesus, Messiah, is a king in David's lineage who has come to bless all the families of the earth as a son of David, a son of Abraham. But when he came, we read in John 1.11, he came to his own. And those who were his own did not receive him. In John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That's what Christmas is about. That's what the child that surprised the world was about. The surprised child. But the key question is, have you received him? 
Have you received his mercy and grace? His forgiveness and love like those in his, his genealogy? His gift of eternal life through his son? If you have, wonder and spend the time uh, during this period as we, as we come up to Christmas Day, even though it's most likely not the actual time of the year, but the, the, the church has celebrated this for many generations. And as we take that time, reflect on it with wonder and adore him, given even the familiarity of the story. If you haven't, there is the invitation that is open. Receive him now while you can. Today is the day of salvation. Until he comes, there is an opportunity to turn from our ways and to look to him and follow his way. That's the only way that we come to righteousness. Let's come to the Lord in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, what a privilege. Um, the book of Romans, in the book of Romans, Paul tells the Roman believers who were Gentiles that you have been grafted into the vine. Yes, we know that many Jews rejected him. But we thank you that even today there are many coming, many Jews coming to faith in him. There is a growing Messianic uh, series of congregations and fellowships, churches in Israel and around the world, Jews that are coming to recognize Jesus was indeed the Messiah, and they rejoice. Father, we, we, we pray for that to continue. But Lord, it goes, salvation came through the Jew, and to the Jew first, Paul says, but to the Gentile also. We thank you that right through the uh, genealogy of Jesus were the examples of your grace and mercy, of how you intended through Abraham and through David to bless all the nations. And we just thank you for the message of hope. But we pray for each one that they would individually receive, that they would come to know the grace, the mercy, and the hope that is theirs in Christ.